Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, January 23rd. Last week, the city approved the Westbrook Local Area Plan. If you haven't sat down and read through the 134-page document outlining the plan, not to worry. We discuss the scope and impact on the communities involved with two city planners who've been working on the project. On a somewhat related topic, after being empty for a number of years, another Calgary office tower is getting new life. We speak with Maxim Olszewski, CEO of Calgary-based Astra Group Corporation, for details on an ambitious project that'll see office space in the downtown core being transformed into residential units. Next, have you ever heard of an exercise prescription? We catch up with Dr. Ted Jablonski for details on how the prescription works to promote health and wellness and how new research points to shorter periods of intense physical activity providing greater results. And finally, it's our weekly segment aimed at helping you achieve your goals and live your best life. On this edition of Motivational Monday, we discuss the impact music has when it comes to therapy. We catch up with Calgary-based music therapist, author, and speaker Jennifer Buchanan. Have you had the chance to look into the details around the city's new Westbrook local area plan? Well, if you didn't get a chance to just flip through the 134-page plan as of yet, the co-lead planners for the project are in studio with us to talk about the scope and impact and what it all means. Good morning to Peter Shrivers and Christine Candle-Brunen, both planners with the City of Calgary. And uh, thank you both for coming in and joining us in studio this morning, nice and early. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Okay, so let's begin with the Westbrook local area plan. We'll start with you, um, Peter, and talk about sort of what areas or what space within the city does this encompass and why we even need to come up with a new plan for it. Yeah, so this the area is is, is basically bounded by Bow River to the north, Crowchild Trail to the uh, to the east, Sarcy Trail to the west, and then Richmond Road and 33rd Avenue to the south. And there's, there's 10 communities in there, so things like Wildwood and Killarney and, and Glendale. And really the reason for the plan is that these communities are experiencing growth. And uh, over the last few years, they've seen more, and they're going to see more over the next few decades and certainly having a plan gives these communities a little bit more certainty about where that growth is going to happen um, and also just how, how the city is going to change with them. So things like uh, improvements to mobility, improvements to parks is really what the plan outlines. These are older communities. So, Christine, I'll throw this question to you. Was, was this uh, chosen, this cluster of communities, because of the age of them? Or is this something that is a, a refresh, so to speak, happens throughout the entire city and it just happens to be time for the Westbrook area? Uh, So it's a bit of both. Uh, So the local area planning program is fairly new in terms of planning from a multi-community perspective. So the first local area plan that was completed uh, two years ago, I guess now, uh, would have been the North Hill Communities Local Area Plan. So just kind of north of the Bow River. Uh, And so Westbrook is actually the second in a pilot program for these multi-community local area plans. So it was, um, as Peter indicated, it was chosen partly because there are redevelopment pressures that are ongoing, but also uh, because it is a mix of both inner city and established communities. So kind of ranging um, in in a span of age. So it was specifically chosen uh, to, I guess, explore how redevelopment occurs within these communities of, of varying age ranges as well. So, Peter, when you're putting a plan like this together, obviously huge scope. So is, it, is there a lot of community engagement or do you start to put the, the parameters of the plan together and then take it to the community? What does that exactly look like? Yeah, it, it's definitely a very big public engagement uh, process. And I, I would say for me and Christine, that's probably most of what we do is public engagement. And really, this 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 plan took a kind of multi-phased approach. We had we had four phases of public engagement that we kind of started the, at the very start with just you know the vision and the goals and the concepts, like what people want to see change in their community. And then we kind of go into into concepts and then drafts and then and into the final plan. And through that entire process, we have 
multiple touch points with with all kind of different stakeholders in the area and getting feedback from them and making revisions mm-hmm. to the plan as we go through so the so the community can really see the plan change as it goes through that process speaking with christine candle brunin and peter shrivers uh, planners for the uh, local area planning the city of calgary uh let's i'm not sure who wants to enter, uh, answer this one but with increased density obviously it makes sense comes increased traffic that's something that has to be addressed what is being done are and are these communities already set up for the amount of uh, well density that we'd like to see perhaps increased in some of these communities yeah um so so first of all there's they're kind of the talk about growth and density and for a lot of these communities it, it isn't actually growth that we're talking about a lot of them they've they've actually their populations have declined quite significantly so places like wildwood has have lost 37 percent of its population so really we're talking about just recovering the populations of these areas and of course with any kind of growth and change there's going to be traffic um, and that's something we look at and something that we we, we as we go through and try to improve and, and identify kind of key areas where we need to make improvements. So, for instance, we you know we highlight in the plan things like Bow Trail and Forty Fifth, uh, Bow Trail and Thirty Third, Bow Trail and Thirty Seventh. Obviously, <laughs> Bow, Bow Trail being a, a you know a, a big issue, especially from a uh, safety perspective. We've heard from these communities that things like uh, pedestrian safety crossing those areas is, is really pertinent, and so that's something we've highlighted for kind of future improvements in the area. Christine, community organizations have some concerns about, you know, row houses or four-story apartment blocks. And we hear about that in in lots of different communities around the city. So if communities show concerns about things like this, but we do need to create more housing in in a city, a growing city like Calgary, how do you kind of deal with that sort of thing? Absolutely. So it is trying to strike a balance um, between those varying perspectives. And I think even within public input, we heard a variety of perspectives. So there's absolutely people who want everything to stay the same, who don't want to see their communities mm-hmm. change. These are beloved communities. So we we absolutely understand that perspective. And at the other end, we did hear from people who felt the plan wasn't aggressive enough and didn't go far enough to try to strike that balance. So it is I think really trying to achieve that balance between public perspectives, but then also balancing other aspects. So the city does have policies that indicate, you know, over the next 45 or so years, citywide, 50% of growth should go within already developed areas and 50% should be within Greenfield. So it's really trying to move the needle a little bit uh, to try to achieve those while also trying to balance uh, that concern uh, with that, you know, people wanting to keep their Mm -hmm. communities or aspects of their communities the same as they are now consultations, the meetings, and then we've got professional planners like yourselves involved. We have this 134-page report, and that's great to, to, to maybe see some depictions and, and to read these words. But what are residents going to see first? What are the changes that they're going to notice physically with this plan? Yeah, I think there's there's a number of changes, and some of them are, they're seen already. So as you probably know, there's the improvements we've been doing in the area, like the 17th Avenue and the 37th Street Main Street improvements. So improvements to kind of pedestrian infrastructure and and uh, things like that. And then we're going to continue to see that as we go forward. So just other areas, areas we've kind of highlighted, 45th Street being one and 26th Avenue, two more corridors that we talked about in terms of improvements. And they're also going to just see development applications in the area. They've already, they're already seeing them. All these communities are seeing development uh, applications. But in but going forward, they're going to see how those applications fit within the plan and how they, they kind of meet that same vision. Do you guys deal with safety concerns? For example, I mean, a bit of a delicate subject, maybe how to put it properly, but you know, like you look at a Westbrook Mall, there's a C train station there as well. We all know there have been issues with C train stations throughout the city of Calgary. When you look at something like that, is that something that you think about in terms of planning and how that's going to change, Christine? 
Yeah, so I think um, the way that planning affects that would be through principles uh, like crime prevention through environmental design. So there are uh, certain ways that you can build and develop uh, in order to have more eyes on the street, more activity in the area that will help to address some of those concerns. So that would be the lens that, that planning sort of addresses those issues yeah. through. You know, with with 10 communities involved here, and uh, again, many different moving parts as far as it's not just one thing that wants to be uh, is going to be addressed do we have a time frame to completion with this pilot project yeah really with these plans we kind of look at a typically like a 30-year uh, time frame wow and so this, this this takes a long time to to grow and develop and and the plan really sets out the rules for what could happen not what's going to happen because of course all the land you know the majority of the land is owned by private individuals and so it's really up to them what they want to do with their land and this just kind of sets out the the kind of framework for what they can do Absolutely. So is the plan in place? Is it still being worked on? What does that look like if people still have, you know, issues from within the community? Sure. So um, last week on Tuesday, it, it did receive first reading at Council. So the next steps um, would be that the plan needs to be reviewed by the Calgary Metropolitan Region Board. Um, and that's a relatively new process, uh, but it's just a, a kind of regional oversight board that will look at the plan. Um, and then it would go back probably within a month or a couple months, I guess, to Council uh, for second and third reading. And at that point, if Council does uh, give it second and third reading, it would be bylaw. So essentially... Okay. When planners, um, when council is reviewing land use or development applications at that point, if the plan's adopted, they would use the plan to review those. A very ambitious, looking forward mm -hmm. to seeing how it changes our city and you know makes it more usable and vibrant, I would like to think. Got to be optimistic about these things. Change is sometimes hard to accept, but <laughs> thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Christine Candle-Brunen and Peter Shrivers. Planners in the local area planning uh, for the city of Calgary. And the big project is, yes, the 10 communities surrounding Westbrook. After being empty for many years, the Calgary office tower getting new life. Calgary-based People First Developments is in charge of the latest office tower to residential conversion. And Maxim Olszewski is here with all the details. Maxim is CEO of Astra Group Corp and Managing Director of People First Developments. Good morning, Maxim. Thanks for coming into the studio. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. So tell us first a bit about People First Developments. What, what exactly do you do? People First Developments is a company that's centered around solving a few problems that our city faces. Reducing downtown uh, vacancy rate in office towers and providing more affordable housing in the place where we need it most, which is downtown core. And at the same time, providing jobs. And through our developments, we aim to solve these problems. Hey, Maxim, we have plenty of buildings in the downtown core. So what is it about an office building, a particular office building, that makes it suitable for conversion to residential spaces? Or, or could you literally convert any building? When you look at an office tower, there's a few th considerations that you want to keep in mind. You don't want the floor plate to be too big or too small. Otherwise, the units become unfunctional. So, for mm -hmm. example, if you have a really large floor plate, what ends up happening, you have this bowling alley units. And those are just not very functional. If it's too small, then the metrics in terms of performance don't work. So what we found to be very effective is, you know, from 12,000 to 16,000 square foot floor plate, ideally square with the center core, which allows a good utility of units all around the perimeter. And then the efficiency of the floor plate works out really well sufficient sunlight, large units, and in general, good living space for the future tenants. That makes sense. So tell us about this latest tower conversion. Where is it? What did it look like to begin with? And then how do you start making the changes? 
So SN, uh, the former SNC Lavalin building is located at 909 5th uh, Avenue Southwest, just on the west end of downtown. Uh, the tower resembled like any old tower in uh, built in the 1960s. Uh, it's 10 story, 130,000 square foot uh, a building. And it will be unrecognizable at the end of this year. Wow. We're stripping completely the exterior, doing inverted balconies, basically taking it down all the way down to the concrete and rebuilding it from scratch. It will be a, basically a brand new building. Wow, that's amazing. Is that because of the age? Because this is not a new building. This building is no spring chicken. It, it's older. <laughs> is, is that one of the reasons you had to take it so far? When you compare the building code between, let's say, a residential condo and an office, they vary so greatly. And on top of that, when the building is built in 1950s, 1960s, nobody was really thinking about energy efficiency or saving the environment or using less water. So when you're looking at the new structure and you want to upgrade everything, it's almost easier to start from scratch rather than pick certain parts that you wish to reuse. I mean, of course, we were using the center core and the elevators and the staircases, but everything else goes. Wow. Okay, so this is probably the first one then you mentioned balconies. That's that's a big deal to, to, to switch an office tower that didn't have that to create a balcony, but it makes it far more livable, doesn't it? It certainly does. Uh, when we looked at this particular project, we really wanted it to be a flagship project for office conversions and for other people to follow similar methodology, not just here in Calgary, but in our nation. So, so we wanted to go this particular project to resemble, or not even resemble, to be unrecognizable from an office tower. We just, when somebody drives by, they wouldn't believe that this was an office tower once. So having balconies, having operable windows, having full heating and air conditioning and affordable luxury finishes, you know, all of those things we wanted to bring to the community. Maxim, when we look at the conversion versus, you know, a, I guess a, a straight-up build from the ground up and nothing there before, uh, what does the price point look for, for those in the, in the housing market? And how does the price compare? Uh, are you asking in terms of If I cost? wanted to buy, yeah, if I wanted to go and buy a condo or, you know, or, or even rent for that matter, do I get a better, do I get a savings because the structure was there or is it a very similar price point? Uh, it really depends from developer to developer on what they're going after in terms of their end product. Our goal is to always uh, cater to the largest segment of the population. And the largest segment of the population, of course, requires more affordable housing. It's no secret that costs of living across our nation went up significantly. Mm -hmm. And thanks to the City of Calgary development program, which allowed us to pursue this project, uh, we were able to offer reduced, uh, reduced rents we were able to do such a larger renovation, inclusive of the balconies, because we want to put these dollars back into the community. I love that the second floor of this building is going to be something unique as well, correct? It certainly will be. Uh, our goal is to create a co-working space specifically for estheticians. That would be your hairstylist, your um, makeup artist, and anyone in between. It will house over 70 individual businesses. And our goal is to help these smaller businesses to reduce the cost of starting up a salon by being able to operate in more of a communal space where all the uh, common amenities are shared 
and creating an overall better experience for their customers. And in turn, these individuals can prosper and have lower costs of operating their business. Brilliant. Well, let's talk about the time frame. Uh, when uh, are these expected to be up and running and, and ready for residents? Our goal is to complete the project at the end of this year uh, with uh, starting the lease up in January. Fantastic. Maxim, thanks so much for coming in and telling us all about it. It's a, an exciting project and I think it, one that we obviously need to see coming to this city. We need a lot of work in our downtown. This is a great step forward. Thanks so much for your time. Amazing. Thank you for having me once again. Appreciate it. Maxim Olszewski is CEO of Astra Group Corp and Managing Director of People First Developments. You know, sometimes you've got questions about medical issues. Sometimes we see things that pop up and we ask him about them. And sometimes he's got great ideas to, to have conversations around. He is Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. And the fact that exercise is good for you is not necessarily newsworthy, but the new trend of physicians prescribing exercise is worth exploring further. So to talk about it, Dr. J, our on-call family physician is here. Good morning to you, sir. Thanks so much for coming in. Oh, it's a pleasure, always. Love chatting with you. Okay, so, I mean, exercise, how do you prescribe? An, is it an actual physical prescription you're handing to patients now? Uh, we are doing that more and more, as opposed to just saying you should be more active. Mm. It's like, here's what exactly what I would like you to do week to week. So we do talk about an exercise prescription. The same way, Dr. J, that you might prescribe a medicine to me, and to sue, you might do, you know, maybe a different type or a different dose. Is it the same with exercises? It's not a one-size-fits-all, is it? Uh, correct. And I think uh, what we're going to talk about this morning is that research is challenging that notion. Now, it isn't one, you know, one prescription is good for everybody. So we used to talk about that 30 minutes a day, five times a week, 150 minutes of moderate exercise. Which sounds daunting. Yeah. It, it, but that's not daunting. No, that's 150 not. minutes a week is nothing. Uh, but moderate exercise. So I'm, I'm working out enough to breathe a little heavier, uh, but not more than that. So this new study actually just came out looking at very, very short bursts of exercise. So they looked at 71,000 people in the UK, followed them for six years, tracking their, their device. So their device on their wrist for heart rate. And they found the biggest bang for the buck was very short bursts of, of exercise down to eight minutes a day. So really? if you cannot find eight minutes of day, <laughs> eight minutes a day, you got a problem in your life. So, uh, but the bang for the buck, but it had to be higher intensity. Now we're not mm-hmm. talking about that moderate intensity. We're talking about high intensity to get your heart rate really up, but only for eight minutes. And that had an incredible advantage uh, compared to not exercising at all. Is it eight minutes straight, solid, or could it be like one minute with a 30-second, re- yeah. you know, relaxing kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, so that, when we talk about a prescription of this, this would be the so-called HIT, high-intensity right. interval okay. training, which right. is very high-intensity, a little bit of a break. Right. Very high-intensity, very much of a break. You can look online. There's seven-minute workouts, eight-minute workouts, 10-minute workouts. You name it, it's all out there. And those are brilliant for mm-hmm. very short, intense little workouts, that you can uh, that you can really get your heart rate up, but yeah, you get those little breaks in between. But the whole thing has to last about eight minutes. Okay, wow, and it's interesting because even years ago, it seemed like when I was uh, you know on a fitness kick and I wanted to get into shape, I would be on the treadmill for an hour and I'd be drenched with sweat. Yeah, and now I, I do much less intense, but I'm walking like ten thousand steps and I'm seeing results. Mm-hmm. But the other part that I've done and I'm seeing a lot more of is the importance of uh, resistance and strength training yes. compared to years ago. So, I mean, can we fit the strength training into that intense? Because, I mean, I, I think often we think about sprinting 
But do we can put the weight training into that. Oh, absolutely. So again, if you look at those, like say a seven minute workout online, a lot of it is resistant training, okay. planks, and then there's this aerobic part, you know, high, uh, high leg running, uh, but there's push-ups, sit-ups. Uh, there's one that I do, uh, you, all you need is a chair and a wall. So you, uh, there's step-ups on the chair, there's triceps curls on the chair, and there's you need a wall to do a plank off the wall. But there's a lot that don't even need a chair, no apparatus at all. And they're brilliant. So I haven't totally uh, incorporated that into my normal exercise routine. Like I'm a runner, I love to run, cycle. So I love those long periods of more moderate. But now incorporating these short little bursts day to day, like I don't do it every single day, it'll beat me up. But yeah. every every couple of days, and I don't do eight minutes, of course, <laughs> but, you know, eight minutes, eight minutes, eight minutes, eight minutes, you know, you string them all together. But boy, it's really, really good. So I'm a, I'm a believer now. Okay, so eight minutes, how many days a week or how many times a week? You could, uh, again, you if you just or... did eight minutes, yeah. if that's all you could truly afford, you could do this five days a week, okay. six days a week. Um, you have to be a bit careful. So these are the high intensity stuff can beat you up a little bit more than sort of, you know, a nice walk in the neighborhood. These are doing things that people sometimes don't do on an everyday basis, right. like, you know, jumping jacks or burpees or sit-ups or push-ups. So you have to be a bit more careful. You're not hurting yourself. But having said that, and you know, I'm a furthest thing from an expert here, Dr. Jake. <laughs> We're not saying you do your eight minutes, but still eat your a bucket of chicken and uh, cheeseburger and large fries every day. Though it's delicious. <laughs> yes. You're, you have to take care of business. Right in regards to good healthy diet, getting your adequate sleep, etc. But for good bang for the buck, cardiovascular health, eight minutes a day wow. is maybe all you need, which is a brilliant statement. And that's really that's doable. Come on, there's not really anybody in this world that shouldn't be able to find eight minutes. Absolutely. Yeah, male, female, doesn't matter what you do. And, and like you say, if you can't find eight minutes, maybe you need to adjust your life anyway. Maybe you are working too hard. You, yes, you are probably stressed to the max. Or your if you time truly can do that, it, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming in. And uh, you know, and he did mention that they don't write prescriptions out anymore. It's yes, printed. we <laughs> talked about writing out a prescription, but doctors don't do that anymore, do they? We just sign. Yeah. It's all digital, and then we sign, and uh, yeah, they can read our signature. That's a good thing, because <laughs> we, we can't read your prescriptions, that's for sure. Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician, thank you so much for coming in again. We appreciate it. Well, this is Motivational Monday, a chance to get you motivated today and beyond. Joining us this morning to talk about the power of the playlist is award-winning Calgary music therapist, author, and speaker, Jennifer Buchanan. Morning, Jennifer. Thanks so much for joining us. Good morning. Appreciate you being here. First off, though, can you tell us what exactly a, a, a music therapist does? Oh, for sure. You know, you can envision us alongside all our other allied health uh, friends out there in the hospitals and long-term care, youngest clients in our case being two months old, eldest 104. And we're right by the bedside with people who are going through um, some, uh, like they, they may have been blindsided by a brain injury or they might have just had a stroke. We're working with pe young kids, you know, and helping them learn and read and using music to do all of this. How do you tell, Jennifer, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm getting choked up just thinking about it. Um, how do you tell, how can you see that the music is having an impact? Are there signs? Oh, that is, uh, you know, that's such a good question. And yes, you know, I think we can all relate to this in, in little ways that we can feel 
stuck. We can get to that place where we're feeling stuck. Music is giving us a scientifically proven way that it can help us literally move again. So we could be seeing that. We could be seeing someone experiencing a music therapy session and really struggling to lift that right arm. And all of a sudden it becomes easier. We could be seeing that person who has been struggling with their speech and language and putting a full sentence together and taking a big breath. And with music, they're able to do that. So we are seeing those shifts from from that that brain just feeling locked up to all of a sudden releasing and being able to do the next movement that they need to move. That's incredible, Jennifer. So, I mean, do we know what it is physiologically, what's happening? Absolutely. There is no other activity we know of that lights up more areas of the brain simultaneously than when we listen to music that matters to us, that clicks in. And as music therapists, what we're often doing is breaking down music. So we're looking at, you know, a small piece. It might just be tempo. You know, that's what I was just telling you of where we might be seeing someone speaking, it could just be a tempo shift that has helped that person get to that place. Um, we know tone matters. I mean, all of us can probably remember being told, don't use that tone with me. Mm. Um, you know, we know how it affects us. So finding the right tones that bring the inspiration and motivation and light that up in the brain can help the person also, not only with something physical, like we've been talking about, but of course our mood. And as I was listening to uh, the news that's, you know, right on right before me and I'm sitting there and I'm going, oh my goodness, you know, like we constantly are hearing heavy things all the time. Well, music can literally help all of us with some of that emotional uplifting, you know, and can help us get there. We got a great text here, Jennifer, from Norbert, who says, my music therapy is a half hour of heavy metal music, like ACDC <laughs> once in a while. Otherwise, the best therapy is classical music daily, the likes of Bach, Beethoven, and Brahms. Best mm. relaxation ever, says Norbert. So what this strikes me as, Jennifer, is the fact that it's such an individual thing. Do you yeah. try to sometimes tailor the music depending on you? You ask the clients maybe what some of their favorites are, or if you, you can talk to family and friends what their favorite genre of music is. How, how do you make that fit? Absolutely. And even prior to that, it's part of our assessment. So it would be on our assessment form when with people of what have been your preferences. But what's also coming out in the music therapy session can be because it's so personalized, people may have forgotten a few things. So we will delve into um, moments in their life and the music and the music will take us there. And then they'll go, oh, yeah. I remember when this was happening, like it can happen with all of us frequently, you know, where a friend might start singing a few lyrics to the words of, of a song and you're able to finish it. You know, the brain has this incredible capacity with music to remember way back. So is this a, like a take home therapy or in office specifically? Do you give music yeah. homework per se? 
<laughs> I love that. I We do both. So we are clinicians. So just like if you went to a counsellor, um, we are clinicians where we're working with you pretty heavy in the moment. Um, we're going to see some of those real challenging things. You know, we're going to go through some of the tough stuff and, and, and we're going to talk about how we can use music and then yes. We're often going to uh, give you some homework, um, just like a counselor would, just like a physiotherapist would. Um, and one of those things that uh, I, like many of us, love to do, and I really love to do, is that power of a playlist and putting together a playlist for something very specific that you're working on. We got a great text here from Michelle Jennifer who says, I've been fortunate enough to be around Jennifer and her team in my special needs classroom. It's amazing the transformation (laughs) and results from agitated to calm. A wonderful bonus for the staff too. The kids seem uh, to come into the room and they light up. Different from someone just playing a guitar, they are well-trained and use it to shape emotions. So if you can touch a bit on Jennifer, how how you can do this in a group setting, that sounds very interesting (laughs) to me. Well, and you can imagine with groups, we're just talking about how music is so based on preferences. So when you're working with a group of people that all have different preferences, yeah, that can be a little bit more challenging. But, you know, in this case, we're going to go to um, that breaking down of elements again. So if we're looking at, say, rhythm, we may bring in a variety of different uh, drums or other um, percussion in instruments that people can play. Um, We may even use some body percussion with the kids in particular. And it's about creating that level of entrainment. Uh, When we start connecting together rhythmically, we can all at a brain level start connecting as well and feel that level of connection. When that's happening, also oxytocin is being released, which is that bonding experience. So we might all be drumming together. Another really great exercise for groups is to write a song together. If we're all going through something, and you know, when we're talking about something like mental health, it might not look the same with all of us, but we all understand that we're all going through something. And it can be really great to write like something this month that would be suitable might be the wintertime blues for some people. And we could write something about that. And what does that look like? And a question may be, hmm, is it is it okay to write a sad song? Well, when we write a sad song, what's happening is we're validating where we're at in the moment. And often that's what these kiddos are needing or what us as adults are needing are just knowing that, you know what, someone else gets it. The music is meeting us where we're at. We're going to write this sad song and at the end of it, we're feeling better. Jennifer, we're running out of time. We could talk to you forever, but before we let you go, just quickly, if for the rest of us, for all of us who are listening, <laughs> the power of the playlist. I know you've got a book, a, a number one best-selling book, Wellness Well Played, The Power of the Playlist. How do we put together the playlist that works best for us? I'm going to suggest everyone to take time and start with your personal soundtrack. Go from your youngest music moment, and it's going to take a long time, all the way up to today. Set it for yourself start a journal, and start writing about the music that's mattered to you the most. Some great points. Mm -hmm. Uh, Thank you so much for uh, shedding some light on this topic, Jennifer. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me. That's Jennifer Buchanan, award-winning Calgary music therapist, author, and speaker. Yes, the book.
Check it out. Wellness, well played, the power of the playlist. Uh, all details online at jenniferbuchanan.ca.